Greetings and welcome to The Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman, and it's time to bring the orange with our special guest for all the way from Europe, but not here in the studio, unfortunately, Remco Dienick, one of our enterprise systems engineers who works out of the Netherlands. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Rob. I'm very happy to be here. I have wanted to get you on since uh, we, we bumped into each other back at our Accelerate event in, uh, in Austin, and I'll get to what you were doing there, because you were doing some really interesting things. Um, but mostly wanted to have you come on, because it's always interesting to hear what's going on in other parts of the world and hear about what you're doing in, uh, in Europe. But uh, to get started, why don't you describe uh, what you do um, as a systems engineer, where you cover? I know you're out of the Netherlands, but um, what's the coverage like there? And um, you know, where, where, what's your experience leading up to Pure? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm a system engineer in the Netherlands. Uh, I work in the enterprise space. So we, we kind of covered the market in enterprise, uh, public, and commercial. And I currently work in the enterprise space. And I'm kind of moving into more of a regional role, covering all of the Netherlands, sort of an overlay role, I'd say. Uh, to uh, a bit more specialized position around containers, but also some of the more financial stuff, uh, pure as a service, those kind of things. So uh, moving there and uh, before pure, so I joined about two years ago, I guess. Um, I was at a reseller doing managed services, those kind of things. And I, I was a partner of pure, which is also why I joined pure uh, at a certain point in time. You saw some uh, things you liked about the company. <laughs> yeah, especially, yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I got to know the culture. So I was in the uh, Pure Advisory Council, the Partner Advisory Council. So got to know the company quite well, the, the founders and the leadership team. Um, and I really enjoyed the, the culture. And I also noticed that when we sold our products to our customers, um, I was generally used to the fact that I would sell something and that would be the best part of the relation, right? The, the decision is made, everybody's right. happy and they put down the signature and then they're really happy and then you start implementing and it kind of drops a little bit from there. Not, yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be bad, but it kind of drops. And what we saw with Pure was that basically after the sale, customers got even more enthusiastic and gaining customer trust is the most important thing in managed services. So uh, yeah, it was a really great partnership. At some point in time, me and the other shareholders sold off the company. Um, so it was time for something new. And I thought, well, why not join Pure and see well, and we're, what we're it brings. Lucky, we're lucky to have you. And I love that you bring that up about the customer relationship, right? I mean, so often things are very transactional, right? It's all about getting the sale and then, you know, kind of helping implement and then going away. And I think what we find over and over again is there's, you know, there's features and there's functionality about the product that maybe the user didn't know about, or there's new things that they discover and go, wow, I, I didn't know we could do this. Or it is as easy as you told me and intuitive as you told me. And, and you might, as, as an SE, you must see that all the time. Yeah, that's, it's, it's interesting about the simplicity. We always tell our customers it's simple to use, but I kind of found out that there's, it's probably like not no eye open or anything, but there's no vendor in this world who's telling that their, their products are complex, right? Mm -hmm. So telling someone that your product is easy is, or simple is kind of what they hear from everybody. And then once they get their hands on it and they really understand what we mean with simplicity, like take everything out that you don't need to think about, it's, it's kind of a whole other level. And that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's very nice to see. <laughs> 
It is. It is actually great when you when you make claims and then they actually turn out to be to be true. Um, how do you how do you spend your time on an average daily basis? I've always been fascinated by the the life of a of a systems engineer and. Uh, you know, I had one of our principal SEs, J.D. Wallace, from, from the Northwest on a, a few weeks ago, and he described what he does. But I know it's kind of an interesting blend of, you know, customer interaction and support, but also you're, you're needing to constantly learn and do professional development, but also kind of have some kind of flair for, for creativity. How do you balance all those things out? Yeah, I guess, I guess it's a little bit go with the flow. I think in enterprise... Our main focus is direct contact with customers. In the commercial space, it's more direct contact with partners and then going to the customers together with the partners. Enterprise, we also obviously join our partners going into the customers, but there's also a lot of direct relationship before the partner is allowed to come in or stuff like that. And then obviously, yeah, you need to keep up, right? So yeah. you need to do your training. And uh, I think I think the nice thing about Pure is that there's, there's always a... Everybody understands that you need to take some part in the week, let's say 20% to spend on development. And nobody is like checking what you're doing in that 20% of your time. But it's basically your own responsibility to keep up and stay ahead of the game. And we have different programs for that, like SE Next, which basically means like, okay, we all need to transition into this new era and in, in the new now. And um, yeah, you need to make sure that you keep your knowledge up to date and then yeah some juggling around with customer calls and uh updating the partners working with channel and uh yeah it's i think it's a lot of fun and there's a lot going on and uh yeah we, we get a lot of good feedback and, and a lot of attention from the customer from the media so it's pretty cool stuff yeah, there's never a dull moment, right? When when you're constantly being uh, put, when things are being pushed at you from corporate, that there's something new coming out that's around the corner, and that means you got to go figure it out and and kind of you know learn about it. But um, you know, if that's the type of environment that you love, then then that's you know that's that's a fantastic place for you to be. Um, how are things in Europe? What's what's going on? You know, I know. You know, Sean, Rosemary, and I kind of talked about post-pandemic predictions on a recent pod, which is a fun one to fun one to listen to. You know, the impact to uh, to different industries. But you know, what are you seeing? What's what's changed with your work life, or what's changed with with your home life relative to the pandemic and interactions with customers? I assume everything's sort of virtual now, but uh, we we're all figuring it out, right? Yeah. It, it, it's, it's been a, like, a, like a process, I'd say, or may, maybe a journey. Uh, at first, obviously, everything got shut down. We were a little bit earlier than, than the States. And I think most of the countries in, in Europe were quite surprised by how fast this was spreading and how it was going. So, But on the other hand, we kind of shut down pretty quick in the Netherlands. Mm. Uh, we didn't have a total shutdown. I've heard European countries where people wouldn't, weren't even allowed to leave their, their homes or anything. Uh, we never had that, so we're still able to go out for a walk and those kind of things. Uh, but yeah, a lot of attention to social distancing and those kind of things. So, um, and over the past weeks, basically the spread has gone down considerably. Good. But now we're entering the holiday season, so a lot more traveling, and we're actually seeing a little bit of an uptake. This is the second wave, is it? Isn't it? We don't really know. So potentially, yeah, yeah, we don't know. Yeah, uh, maybe a little bit quicker than we would have anticipated. Um, 
yeah, but anyway, I think that's, uh, uh, that's, that's the way it's been going. I think the first weeks, uh, going back to the professional side of, the, of things, the first weeks, we saw that uh, customers were also surprised, but you know, everybody started working from home and that brought a lot of challenges. Mm -hmm. how, how can you make sure that everybody has access to their applications, continue to do their work and everything? So uh, I think that brought focus to some different parts of the industry. A lot of meetings got canceled, for example, like right. busy with a bit of other stuff there. And, I, and that's coming back to normal in, in a way that, people do realize that even the, the normal stuff they're working on needs to continue, right? They, they can't just leave it uh, at, at whatever it was. So um, on the other hand, it's still everything virtual, as you said. I mean, yeah, right. I've, I've had, I think, four customer meetings in the past two or three months, uh, like on site, yeah. either at our office or at the customer's office, and everything else was virtual, um, which is Quite okay. I mean, I, I don't mind not having to travel. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I save a lot of time on traveling. On the other hand, my personal my personal favorite meetings are standing in front of a whiteboard and like doing real interactive discussions with customers and see what the problems are and how we can figure out which solution best fits for, for their environment. Um, and I still find that a challenge on how you do that in a virtual environment. Right? It's always difficult to see everybody who's joining the call and make sure that everybody gets gets heard and you get all the interaction that you normally have if you're in the same room. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting, I would say. <laughs> yeah, there's something really tactile about being there. And, and um, you know, I, I used to have this when I used to do, you know, webinars or remote customer presentations. And you just don't, you don't get the same feedback, right? You, you just can't see the the eyes or the reactions or the the body language right of, of the people when you're doing things remotely but you know that's 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 the situation we're in and we're we're making the best you know my wife's a teacher and she's going through the same the same you know struggles and challenges as school starts on thursday and wondering you know how she's gonna keep tabs on 24 six-year-olds you know while they're all on a on a zoom meeting so it's gonna it's going to be fun and interesting and challenging. And I keep telling her, you're going to figure it out, right? You'll, you'll figure out a way just like you, you've been figuring out a way with, with your customers um, there. Have you, have you seen um, the, the, the enterprise, the, the, the customers you work with leaning more heavily on a lot of the remote things that, that we can do, you know, remote installs and, and, you know, using Pier One where you can, you know, do things from home and not have to go into the data center? Has there been an uptick in that or has that kind of always been there? No, I think, I think there's definitely an uptick in there that people start realizing that basically the SA service way of working works really well in this new, this new now, in this new environment where uh, you don't basically want to go to a data center and do stuff, right? You just need to spin up whatever you need. And that aligns also very well with the pure as a service offering that we have. We see a lot of our customers that are, are basically transitioning from whatever they were used to where they have like the build it your own specialized environments yeah. rather to um, a off the shelf service that, that just brings whatever, whatever it is you need, right? Instead of, instead of, spending a lot of time doing stuff yourself. And it seems that, that the COVID pandemic has, has kind of accelerated that change in, in, the, in, in people's mind. It's, it's been 
going on for quite some time, but this seems to accelerate that more. Yeah, I think so. I think that's what we've seen. That was kind of the theme of what Sean and I talked to was really that acceleration of, you know, not just automation, but, you know, remote types of opportunities to engage with technology, but still do it at the same level or even a better level, right? You need to, you need to guarantee the same level of service and, and accessibility to uh, infrastructure, regardless of whether you can go in and touch it and push buttons. And I, and I think we're doing pretty well in that area. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and, and I think that's that's also why a lot of customers and also partners are are, are quite happy with uh, all the zero touch provisioning. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the way the, the fact that everything pure is managed and monitored by Pure One, so they always have real time insight in whatever is happening in their infrastructure, right? And they don't need to worry uh, about doing everything themselves and just monitoring their system from their phone when they're at home, I guess. Yeah. I mean, beyond those challenges that are maybe brought on by the pandemic, what, what are other things that you're seeing? I mean, we're seeing kind of the classic, you know, performance availability types of types of challenges relative to data management, or are there some other, some other areas that are brought on by new technology adoption? I mean, how would you characterize what you see, um, you know, kind of in general, the, the types of issues that are being brought up? Yeah, I think, I think what's interesting to see is that, um, I know as Pure, we've been talking about uh, Rapid Restore for quite mm-hmm. some time, but it never really hit off in the Netherlands, I would say. It wasn't really a discussion. And it seems that now with ransomware still going on and uh, these kind of pandemics, people are putting more um, pressure on being able to restore their data, have a recovery plan, making sure that if something fails that they're able to get back up. So I guess... Uh, if anything, in data management, fast restores and being able to protect yourself from ransomware and those kind of things, I think that is one of the things that I found is, is getting most attention now, um, in addition to anything else that's going on in the market, like containers, automation, speeds, those, those kind of things. But I think this is like new, or at least in the Netherlands, I would say it's getting a lot more attention and used to in the, in the, over the past couple of years. Yeah, well, and it's a real problem, right? I think it's almost every day we see articles in in the news flying up about the latest ransomware attack that's taken down, you know, some service provider um, who, 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 you know, loses service and then loses revenue off of it. And uh, I mean, regardless of whether there's a pandemic, that's just a giant threat and, you know, having right. solutions where you can lock lock out the data and, and, and do fast restores is uh, is definitely... Uh, definitely really important to have. Hey, I mentioned at the top about um, bumping into you Accelerate. You had a fun role at Accelerate. You were sort of, you were sort of king of social media or something. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to recall exactly. I just felt like I was looking at my Twitter feed as I was sitting recording podcasts, you know, end over end every day. But what did they line you up for in, in Austin? And, and what was that like? You, you, were, you were pretty front and center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I was uh, basically nominated as a pure accelerate ambassador, the nice. first ever. Uh, and and the idea was to to get some people from just from the company to to come in and get a behind the scenes uh, look of the of the event, and also being able to join the event just as a regular visitor would, and then try to blog about that or tweet about it. Or in, in my case, uh, the the reason I got picked was that I like to work a little bit with video. So I created like a little bit of fun videos or, or you know, those kind of things. Um, to, to, yeah, basically 
give a little bit more uh, attention to the to the show and help spread the word. And I kind of liked sharing everything. And there was a huge board, and it was just around the corner from where you were doing the podcast. Yeah, and it had a, a like a, a rank the, the tweet. So, and at some point in time, my name appearing there. So that's when I got even more active on the socials and see if I could put my name up. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a real, real, yeah, really good, lot of fun, and um, a great experience to to meet again the leadership team, um, but also all the support for marketing that we got there was uh, was great for for Ashley and and Austin and me. So uh, yeah, it was, it was really good, good fun. It was. It was an exciting event. And, and uh, again, I hope we get to do one of those in-person ones again, although the virtual one we did in June went off pretty well. You know, a lot of good, yeah, it was, it good was content great, there, thought. a lot of good attendance. So it was exciting to see that people wanted to still come check us out in a virtual experience and actually really exceeded expectations. So that was... That yeah, was so and I think, I think especially for, for us in Europe, uh, we got a great opportunity to have a lot more attendees attending the, the show, basically, because... Now people from the Netherlands who might not be able to travel to to the states are able to join, uh, yeah, the, the show as well. So uh, I think our numbers, especially out of the states, were a lot higher than they used to be in a normal uh, accelerate. So, well, maybe I hope in the future it would still be in person because I yeah. still love the in-person events, meeting people, meeting, yeah, having a yeah a chance to to talk in person to to people. Um, but combining it with virtual kind of seems a logical logical way forward, I'd say. Yeah, for sure. And we're you know we're certainly looking at what that strategy will will be going forward. But I I did want to make sure to highlight your role as an ambassador because I just I thought that was a cool thing. And your name here your, your headshot kept popping up the the list of you know <laughs> social impressions and and lead. And I was like, darn, I want to be up there where Remco is. But you know you you did a great job and had a had a, a terrific following, which, um, by the way, leads me to the, the real reason I wanted to bring you on was to, you know, you mentioned a little bit ago around, uh, you know, kind of a, a hot topic, which is around containers and, and Kubernetes. And um, that seems to be taken off. I mean, maybe it's been taken off. I don't want people to criticize me since it's been there for uh, a while, but um, that seems to be part of almost every conversation right now. You're seeing that in the Netherlands and, and Europe as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think I think a, a couple of companies like Uber and those kind of scale ups kind of started this. Obviously, Google uh, kind of invented it together with Docker. Yeah. Um, and I think it, over the past years, we've seen a lot of companies starting to tip their toes in what containers bring, and and you know maybe it can speed up development and and those kind of things and testing. And I think right now we're seeing that more and more companies are actually using containers to productize their, their uh, applications um, from a software development perspective. But on the other hand, we also see that some of the ISVs, like the independent software vendors, uh, could be Microsoft with their SQL big data clusters, mm -hmm. big data cluster, um, or Elasticsearch. Those solutions generally are very easy to distribute on our Kubernetes platform. So we see customers also now who are not doing anything in software development being faced basically with spinning up a Kubernetes environment for them to be able to do their analytics, their data warehouse environments, all those kind of things mm -hmm. that they that they really need, right? If you're not doing anything in the analytics space, I think uh, you might have a hard time going forward as a company. So yeah, that's right. everybody's is kind of tipping their toes there and, um, 
yeah, it's getting a lot more attention. And um, the reason I got pulled into containers was actually when I joined Pure, I met one of the, the principal ICs, Fred Leroux. Uh, he's a field CTO now. And the first thing he told me was basically, so, well, in any conversation you have with an enterprise company, make sure you talk about persistent storage for containers. And didn't really make a lot of sense of me. I, I knew containers and I thought, well, yeah, you need some kind of storage like any application. Uh, but I started bringing it up in any conversation I had with any of the, the customers I was talking to. And uh, at some point there was a customer and he said, well, that's exactly what we're looking for. So now you need to tell me everything you know in our next meeting about persistent storage for containers. So. <laughs> Yeah, as we were saying, like juggling with your time. And that was a time for personal development to kind of <laughs> kick the tires on containers. And uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed picking it up and, and, and getting more into containers and, and new stack technology in, in general. So uh, yeah, it's been great fun. And, uh, and, you, yeah. and you obviously did a lot of development in that area because, you know, I, we recently, and I wanted to highlight this, we recently did one of those internal hackathons that USEs get to do. And, you know, we have a great uh, solution in that space for persistent storage around what we call pure service orchestrator for, for managing containers. But you added a little bit onto that, right, in terms of ease of management with something that we're calling PSO Explorer that we just debuted back in uh, July. What, how'd you think of that? How'd you conceive of that? And, and uh, how'd you find time to, uh, <laughs> to work on that? Yeah, so I guess, I guess finding time was the good thing about the COVID pandemic. Yeah, sure. Uh, as I said, I, I was saving a lot of time on traveling and and uh, I kind of uh, used that time to spend. Uh, the other thing was also I was staying, staying at home a lot of weekends, not being able to visit friends or anyone. So, you know, at some point in time, you kind of need to do something. So uh, I guess the pandemic gave me a little bit of uh, freedom to, to spend a, a little bit of time there. And on the other hand, what I what I'm noticed that customers we have in the Netherlands, at least, is that they, they are faced with this container world that is kind of created and managed by the developers and they the, the IT admin storage admin don't really have any insight in what's happening there right mm -hmm. the developer comes in and he says well I need a, a, some some servers and I'm, I'm kind of doing some stuff and then at some point in time they're running into any regular issue that you have with any regular application where storage is running out of space or you're running into performance issues and and they have this kind of black box environment where they don't have any visibility in what's happening inside. And, and that kind of got me thinking when uh, Joshua Robinson had created like a first version of the concept of showing storage usage within containerized worlds to say, well, if we could bring this to a web-based version that's accessible for someone with almost zero knowledge of a Kubernetes environment presenting um, whatever is happening there, like growth and performance and utilization, those kind of things, in a very easy to consume manner that would definitely help to bridge the gap between the developers and the storage admins, kind of bringing those worlds together. So um, yeah, that was, I guess, the idea and, and being, being, yeah, a lot of enthusiastic reactions by a lot of people who are uh, starting to use it and, and customer feedback has been great. So yeah, it was, it was a great fun. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it when you talked about bridging that gap, right? Because the, the, you know, the DevOps world and development world is not entirely the same as the infrastructure world. So 
there is kind of that disconnect. I mean, to me, when I started looking at what you put out, and I read the, the great blog, by the way, if, if uh, anybody wants to go into far more detail, terrific blog on the capabilities with some good screenshots and and things, but it was it was almost analogous to me of what we did in Pure One with the VM analytics, right? Where you're tying the the visibility and the usage of of VMs, you know, down through to to the storage layer and you know, connecting those two worlds of VM admins down with the infrastructure folks. And here you're just doing it on another level with containers, although, you know, there's probably some virtualization that's mixed in there as well. Yeah, I think, I think the, the analogy is, is, is quite, uh, quite true. I, um, everything that you need is probably available either within the container platform or within the storage. It's just a, basically the trick of combining those things mm -hmm. and presenting them in a way that is easy to, to go through. And VM analytics, when I first presented it to our customers, they were like, yeah, I can do that with VMware. And then they saw a demo and they started to work with it. And then they understood that by just presenting things in an ease to consume manner in a way that, that helps solving actual performance issues, um, it's really, yeah, really helps in, in the way that you troubleshoot your, your, your problems and stuff. And uh, that was basically the same thing that I tried to achieve with uh, PSO Explorer. And uh, yeah, it's uh, good right. to see how it's been, yeah, taken in, so. Uh, yeah, well, have you, have you worked with any customers in using it since we've kind of rolled it out? Have you gotten out in front or I guess not in person, of course, with, with anyone, but have you, have you gotten exactly. on virtually to, to walk through it or, or seen anybody using it in practice at this point? Yeah, so the, the first customers have started deploying it and, and kind of giving the, the first feedback. And uh, I think what a lot of people are, are, are telling us that it's, uh, it's very easy to use and, and by the simplicity and, and a sleek design, which basically we took from uh, our Flash Array Flash Blade GUI design, so we took the same design and used that to, to implement for a PSO Explorer. Uh, it gives them exactly that visibility, and they also uh, tell us that people who are not used to Kubernetes now have the insight that they were looking for. And um, it, it, it allows them to have access into the platform that they don't want to or don't have time to spend time on, on, on learning. And, um, so yeah, the feedback has, has been great. And uh, I've been working with quite a few of the field solution architects in, in the States or, or around the globe actually that are active in the Kubernetes space. I think everybody's uh, kind of pushing it out to, to their customers and, and getting a lot of good feedback on, on uh, yeah, what it does for them. And interesting thing is that there hasn't been anything like this um, by any of the other vendors as far as we can we can find and, and uh, the way that the customers react it, it's it's clear that there's definitely uh, uh, yeah people want it people need that insight people are are looking for ways to to kind of embed that kubernetes within their normal IT environments which also speaks to the fact that that it's getting more production grade application running on there right yeah, and I think we'll see that continue, right? I mean, as the adoption continues and it becomes even more mainstream, it's it, you know it's not going to be an outlier. It's just the container you know container usage is just going to be normal, and so having a tool like this is is a fantastic thing. And I assume it's something that you're continuing to look at and getting feedback on and looking at how you can how you can evolve it, right? I mean, we can't talk roadmap things, but 
Um, certainly now that it's out, we, we've got the ability to get feedback and input and, and go and, and make some additional um, improvements, which is exciting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the good thing, this is an open source project, right? So we, we welcome our customers to, to take a look and, and give feedback on, on things that they want to develop or even uh, help us develop it to, to the next stage. And uh, uh, yeah, based on the adoption and, and how people are using it, we might make see if we can kind of move it into PSO, like make it a standard part of the PSO installation. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see how that, uh, how that evolves. And it's nice to see that uh, the first customer started asking questions or raising issues or, or pull requests on the, the GitHub page. So there's definitely an interest in, in getting this to, to the next phase or to the next, next level as well. So that's cool. cool. Fantastic. Well, thanks for adding that into the PS, PSO ecosystem and where for any that are interested in checking this out, right? If you're looking at any visibility, where, where should folks go? It's just, uh, you can find it on the GitHub page. Yeah, it's on our GitHub page, but the easiest way to go there is through code.purestorage.com. That's basically the portal that goes to all the open source products that are sponsored by Pure and a PSO Explorer is on there as well. So code.purestorage.com is your easiest way there. Outstanding. Well, check it out, everybody, if you're interested in looking at how to get more visibility into your containers environment and Kubernetes. Um, hey, thanks for coming on. This was absolutely a blast. Why don't you plug your Twitter handle? Because I, I love following you on Twitter and uh, always, always some fun, interesting things that you have going on there. Sure. So that's RD Nick. Uh, and I'll spell that out since it's a Dutch <laughs> name. It's R D E N I K. Okay. Um, and I try to to post every now and then. I'm also available at LinkedIn. Since that's also a little bit more used, I guess, in the Netherlands. So uh, yeah, feel free to follow me. Outstanding. Well, give Remco a follow. Thank you so much for coming on the program. It's great to get some perspectives from uh, from Europe and hear about what's going on there. And of course, love hearing about the work you've done with PSO Explorer. Congrats on that. Thanks for uh, all your time and effort around that. And uh, we're really excited to see you know where that goes and. Uh, again, you know, open API development solving real customer problems seems to be a common theme that we <laughs> that we hit on this program over and over again with guests. Uh, must be some goodness in that. But uh, thanks for coming on, Remco. Great to have you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been great to follow the show. So uh, cool. great to be in there for for now. We will do it again soon. Thanks everybody out there for listening, for telling a colleague and sharing the show and uh, keep sending in your feedback. We'll bring in great guests like Remco to give you a view on what is going on around the globe. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap for Pure Storage and Remco Dinek. This is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back, something might be gaining on you. <laughs>